All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. Just like it can be an incredible tool for healing, it can also be an incredible tool for trauma that is much harder to unravel because psychedelics are mimicking impact and repetition in the brain. And that's why we actually say integration is not optional, but how you integrate is. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 188 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. My name is Renee, tuning in from Las Vegas today, and I have Lauren, my sister here across the country. Hey, Vegas. I'm calling in from Alabama. I'm in Central Time, which is just so strange. I was not mentally prepared for this. I knew I was coming here, but we had spring forward on Sunday. So I did all the right things to reset my circadian rhythm, you know, shifted my sleep schedule. So I felt like that was no issue. I forgot that I was going to be going back in time. So it kind of didn't oh. even make sense to shift my clock. And now I'm in Central for a week. And then to East Coast, and then we're we're all gonna meet in mountain time. So be some interesting um circadian challenges over the next week or two. Yeah. So daylight saving was only a minor problem for you. <laughs> You're all over the country. I know. I we put a lot of emphasis on like the importance of this because that one hour shift they show in the literature just has really systemic and profound disadvantages and health implications. But I also was meeting up with a friend that's a flight attendant and and talking to her about how often she changes time zones, which is the whole, you know, challenges in itself. 
I realized daylight saving time for her is just such a little blip. (laughs) It's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I had a similar experience happen where I drove to Arizona on Thursday. So I gained an hour because Arizona doesn't practice daylight saving time. Mm -hmm. And then so Saturday night, I didn't lose time. And then Sunday, I drove back to Vegas and lost the hour back. It was like (laughs) a little confusing, but uh, thank goodness for technology that automatically changes the clocks. (laughs) You're relying on on a microwave timer, an oven timer, clock. Oh, going to be a little messy. Yeah. Yeah. I had to triple check on my times. Anyways, we have survived. We're getting through the week. All right. I have a pop question for you today. Can't wait. What is your, (laughs) I know you're so excited. (laughs) What is your favorite alcohol alternative option at the moment? Hmm. (laughs) I'm looking in my corner because I'm so bad at forgetting names, not seed lips. Um, What's the other one? Three Three spirit. spirit. Yes. Is three spirits? Three spirit. I think it's plural, but good question. Three spirits. I love three spirits. Yeah. Okay. That's my my current. I love the nightcap. It's like a really kind of woody, smoky taste. And I can just drink that straight, but sometimes I'll add a little citrus, a little extra bitters, maybe some sparkling water. Definitely helps me sleep. And it's just nice to, nice to have like an actual nightcap in the evenings. Sometimes I drink tea, but I'm not always in the mood for tea. Yeah, I'm a big Three Spirits fan. I do like Kin. The taste I find is not like I don't crave the taste of Kin. Oh, okay. What are you? Yeah, that the nightcap is delicious. It almost tastes like an old fashioned to me. If you put like an orange slice in there and some bitters, you're talking about Three Spirits. Yeah, yeah, the Mm -hmm, nightcap. mm -hmm. Yeah, but how do you feel about Kin? Yeah, I guess the taste isn't as exciting. I also don't like how much caffeine is in the day ones. I don't even bother with those. Oh. Yeah, I like the, the nighttime night one. one. Yeah, and it is a pretty profound state change. I feel like if mm. I want to feel something, the kin definitely does something to me. But yeah, less exciting taste. And I yeah. want to get excited about things that I'm ingesting. Yeah. Actually, yeah. this is, I didn't even think about this when I pre- prepared this question for you. But I, when I was in Arizona over the weekend with my husband and my in-laws, we went to a kava bar. Oh, that looked so fun. It was amazing. The menu was like 12 pages. It was super overwhelming. I had to ask the server a million questions. So they had kava, kratom, and CBD. So we ended up getting two kava drinks, two kratom drinks, and then we shared it between the four of us. I have to say, I almost felt like I had a cocktail. Oh, I'm sure. Especially you had that kratom. I personally am not a fan of kratom. I know other people love it, but... I, that would be a good process of elimination for me. I wouldn't have even looked at the Kratom, honestly. Mm, yeah. I got to test it again and see what was more euphoric. Was it the Kratom or Kava or the balance? But anyways. Yeah. So. Kava bars are so fun. I mean, I always think about that first time that I accidentally learned what Kava was. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this Whoops. mental, emotional state that I'm in that I did not choose? It's fun, but didn't realize I was going on this little trip here. <laughs> yeah. Warning. Yeah, maybe don't drive a car if you have not tried it before. Oh, it was a wild ride. I got there safely. It was in Hawaii. It was wild. (laughs) Oh, the lessons we've learned. Yeah. How appropriate for today's episode. I'm assuming you did that on purpose. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm actually, I can't really take credit for that. My brain's not working that well today, but (laughs) come on, I will give you credit. 
Maybe it was like a universal energy that brought it to me. Oh, for sure. You were thinking about state changes. State changes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. This episode today was just so amazing. So we have our friends Ta and Cole coming on. If you don't already know who they are, you're about to know and you're going to love them and you're going to follow them forever and ever. So we first got introduced to Tom Cole actually through our friend Sean Wells. That's how we first met them. But then we had the opportunity to hear them speak at Paleo FX and we were just like blown away by their, gosh, we heard them speak for like two hours and it was just incredible. And then from there, I had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica with them for their leadership retreat over New Year's uh, last year, a couple of months ago. And I know I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but just like a recap. So we spent eight days in the middle of the jungle, 15 of us, and it was a lot of class time, I will say. We sat in the classroom a lot. We also experienced Wachuma. We did a couple uh, ceremonies or journeys with that. But the preparation before and then the integration after was really where we spent most of our time. And that's where Tom Cole are so, so incredible with. I mean, they can guide you to know how to get the set and setting correct, to put the intentions out there of what you want to get out of the journey. And then at the end, you're like, okay, I had this amazing experience and I think I learned a lot, but what does it all mean, right? How do I integrate? And that is also where they come into play. Just amazing tools. And I would say definitely check out their websites. We'll link to all of that in the show notes about their coaching program. They're not doing any retreats like that this year. But if you want to go and learn about more of the psychedelic space, personal growth, I mean, honestly, there were so many tools that you could use that you don't even need to use psychedelics just to Mm -hmm. be like a better human, a better spouse, friend, all of the above. They can provide that to you in part of their event. And then they also have the coaching program if you want to be what they call like a psychedelic informed coach to help other people integrate. And this is a really big mission for them because their actual goal is to certify 10,000 coaches by 2027 because as you can probably tell, the psychedelic industry is blowing up. And this is just the beginning. I think by 2024, 2025, it's going to be start to be exponential. And they are trying to get ahead of that curve to make sure that all of us that are curious about it and want to explore it, we need to have the coaches to help guide us for all the prep and the integration. So they're doing amazing work. I just can't rave about them enough. Um, I will I will shut up for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think their knowledge on the vast spectrum of, of what psychedelics are and how they are being integrated currently into our society is just, it's vast and, and beyond. But their niche, I suppose platform talking about how integration is not op- optional and that's all over their Instagram, their social media. And when we interviewed them, it was plastered on the wall behind them. This is their mission to really make sure that people integrate properly because what Cole said on the podcast that really stuck with me is that integration is going to happen no matter what, which I never really thought about. I always thought about integration as a choice. No, you're going to integrate, but is the integration ideal, optimal? Are you actually squeezing the lemon, getting the most out of your experience, but also doing it with intellig- like intention and intelligence because there's a lot of detrimental effects of poor integration. Uh, yeah, so that that was really powerful to me that it's going to happen no matter what. So we have to control that experience because, you know, you I suppose you could put a rough percentage on it. You know, 
the intention setting, the preparation ahead of time, and then even dosing with the medicine is really a small percentage in comparison to everything that comes after. The integration is like, what, 90% plus part of the experience. And I think no matter what your interest level is, if you're interested in becoming a coach or just dabbling for your own personal optimization, whatever it is, as you said, Renee, they have so much to offer. And I think it's really going to elevate the consciousness of our planet, our human species, our communities. And I think no matter what your interest is, I think it would be great to dip your toe in the water because there's just so many benefits that I think we're not even super clear on right now. I, I think it's an amazing pool to dip into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I just, just love watching them interact and talk. They've done so much work together as a couple and it's just so apparent. So even just watching them as a his and her just being together, you're like, oh my gosh, they have done the work. You want to be them. It's that kind of situation. Oh yeah, for sure. I will say definitely go on YouTube. We will put the interview up there so you can see them. They're just magical. All right. Well, we have a great episode for you. Let me tell you a little bit more about their backgrounds before we bring you on. I think it'll give you some more context. So Tom Cole Witte are leading experts in the field of integration and psychedelics, known for their work in guiding individuals toward lasting transformation. Ta has over 30 years of nursing experience, particularly in emergency rooms all over New York City. Cole is a former Miss Utah Teen USA, international substance abuse educator turned psychedelic enthusiast. Together, they co-host psychedelic-informed training that provides practitioners with a unique perspective on the integration process. The Witties helped thousands improve their health in the fitness space before shifting full-time into transformational work. They have led hundreds of events worldwide and are now certifying coaches of all kinds to be psychedelic-informed to meet the growing demand need for support. With tens of thousands flocking to places like Costa Rica and Peru, many are returning home with little to no idea of what to do next. Between their personal journeys, expertise, and mission to certify 10,000 coaches by 2027, they predetermined to set a new standard for coaching. This Austin power couple has been seen in documentaries like Psychedelics Revealed, a Hayes film, and featured at events like Paleo FX and Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service. And countless top podcasts like Lifestylist Podcast with Luke Story and countless others. And as they always say, integration is not optional, but how you integrate is. That is the quote of the day, of the year, of the century, <laughs> of a lifetime, <laughs> of many lifetimes. Okay. I hope you guys are so excited to meet Ta and Cole. Let's go. Ta and Cole, welcome to the Biohacker Babes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, this has been a long time coming. Um, I have wanted to have you on the podcast really probably since I started following you both over a year and a half ago. But then I had the opportunity to join you both in Costa Rica for the leadership retreat, which was just an amazing experience. And I know our listeners have heard me drip a little bit out about that. But today, hopefully I can bring a little bit more of my experience to the table. Um, so now we, I know we have so much to talk about. We were just saying that before we hit record, we're not going to make this an eight hour episode, which would be easy to do. We totally could. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. So I think to kick it off, for anyone that's not familiar with both of you, if you could share how you got into the psychedelic space, because I think both of your stories are so incredible. And I have heard them many times, and I'm still blown away every time I hear it. So if you could share that with our listeners, that'd be a great way to kick off. Whoever sure. wants to go. I mean, <laughs> you know, especially for the for the purpose of timing, because we have a lot we we definitely want to dive into. The shortest version to just give some context 
is I grew up in Utah, very, you know, culturally Mormon. My family is LDS. And by the time I was in my teens, I was an at-risk youth because of assaults on my sexuality that started in my, you know, around from eight to 12. And so in those years, if you start to do research around adverse childhood experiences, there was an internalization of shame. So I felt ruined, bad, broken, all of those things that led me by my teens. I dropped out of school at 17, went to three different high schools, ended up in a coma by 17 from a bad batch of GHB. For those that don't know, it's known as the date rape drug, but it actually came out as a workout supplement for bodybuilders to help them get to REM sleep faster. The problem is it's very formula specific and it's quite dangerous actually. And so it was a bad batch of that, a bad formulation. Uh, so I ended up in a coma, had to turn my life around or find something else to latch onto because clearly that path wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to be getting me much further. So I did Miss Utah Teen. I actually won Miss Utah Teen and competed at Miss Teen USA in 2001. And that kicked off my substance abuse education speaking career. I did national talk shows, Montel Williams, all these different um, colleges, universities, schools. But by um, 21 or so, I was seeing that this once an addict, always an addict model was not it. We were disempowering people by saying, once you're an addict, you always will be. Um, and that did not sit well for me anymore. And how many times my story was manipulated, depending on the audience I was speaking to, news stations, articles. And I just said, you know what? I'm still trying to make up, make up for everything I feel like I've ever done wrong. I'm driven by this shame complex. And I stepped away for good. And so you could imagine when I hit a health crash at 26, endometriosis, I'd had an ovarian, ovarian torsion, fibromyalgia, migraines, hypothyroidism. I mean, my body was sick and it showed. And I had a moment at Disneyland that I sat down on the ground and cried. My knees were too swollen to take another step. I was 26, 27-ish almost. And I just kind of prayed to God, like, something has to change or I'm not going to see 40. And newsflash, I just turned 40. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And feeling amazing. And at that point, I made massive diet and lifestyle changes for sure. But I tell people that was 60% of the symptoms. My initial goal was just for life to suck less. And then as psychedelics came into my life, because it was just the right person at just the right time. So I had to face all those constructs and beliefs around addiction and addicts and fear and all of that. That is what continued my healing that I've been off all medications for nine years. And it doesn't mean that I never have pain. Now I understand pain differently. I understand the cues and signals of my body when I'm not drawing boundaries, when I'm not caring for myself, when I'm not expressing emotions or holding on to things. Now I understand the sensation in my body's differently. And I could not have gotten there if it wasn't for my work with psychedelics and power plants and what I call master mycelium or master mushrooms. So that's a condensed version. You could imagine there's lots of ebbs and flows and lifestyles and talk calls me Cole Gump. There's a lot packed in there. <laughs> so many stories. Also because I'm a little slow. <laughs> <laughs> that Thank is you for sharing. absolute not truth. There is no slowness to this human being. No, I've not heard her so talk much. many times. No, yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. No chill. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, wow, that was the shortest version I've heard. I told you, that I can condense. Pretty, wow. I'm impressed. Thank you. I've been practicing. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Ta, and I've been a nurse for 31 years. 
I just completed my 51st rotation around the planet. And so I'm here. I've been here for a while. And I come from a background of, I'm Gen X. So I was basically raised by myself in the street. <laughs> and uh, my parents had a really, really rough time. And there was a lot of violence in my family, not, not necessarily my immediate family from my parents, but in my immediate family, there was violence. And it was violence in my mother's family. And it was violence in my father's family. There's just a lot of violence. And I grew up in that space. There was violence in my neighborhood. And so I, I thought this was how human beings were. And so I grew up in a normalized violence space. Um, I grew up also in the crack of the 80s in New York, which was absolutely bananas. It was just, there was a lot of trauma and drama around me. And as a kid, I used to sneak out because I was the middle kid and there was a lot of attention on my brother and my, my younger sister. And, um, I used to try to get in trouble, but not get in trouble. And so I used to sneak out in the middle of the night and I would hang out at crack houses with crackheads. And I saw what they would get into. And I, I was like, I'm never doing no, I'm not, I'm never doing any drugs. Plus I never wanted my mother to find out that I was doing anything. So I didn't even drink till I was 25, but I would hang out with crackheads and crack houses at night and I would watch them do crack. And then they would tell me their deepest secrets and their, their, the pain points and all of the things that they had going on in their lives. And I was like, man, this is, this is horrifying. And so I, I, my, my skill of empathy grew. And when I, when, you know, I, I did my best to flunk out in school so my parents would find out, but I also hid it from them so that they wouldn't find out. So my grades were terrible in high school and I was bored. So I ended up going to a community college because I, and my grades were crap in, uh, in high school. So I ended up going to a community college and I took the nursing program and I graduated from nursing school when I was 20. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I was in honors English and all this other stuff. I was a really smart kid. I just wasn't applying myself. And so I graduated from nursing school and I worked in nursing and I learned, you know, and, and that's when AIDS happened, right? That when I graduated from nursing school is when HIV was destroying the world. And so, you know, I was working with people who were falling apart and, and it was just, it was a nightmare and everything was trauma and drama in the hospital. And so I left the original hospital that I was working at on a, on a surgical unit and I went and I worked ER and I learned a lot about the loneliness of human beings. And, and, and on the sidelines while I was doing this, I was crafting a, an underground hip hop career. And so I was doing hip hop music and I was traveling around the country and around the world doing shows in underground clubs and stuff. And so I was learning to talk to different people and socialize and network and all of this while I was doing nursing at the same time. And all of this while I was having traumatic circumstances at home and all of this when I became a father at 18 years old and I didn't know how to be a father. And, and I translated a lot of the, the, the oppressive dynamics into my daughter and all of the things that I did that were this, just this cascade of things that were traumatic and passing traumatic sequences on. I got into a really low point after being in relationships, um, having an ex-wife who tried to commit suicide in front of me um, and just so many things. <laughs> I had all these things happen and I ended up wanting to leave nursing because I saw what was happening with the medical industry and how big pharma was, was really pushing these drugs like Lipitor and, and uh, Advair and things that people didn't really need and weren't working for sp specific things. And I started to get disenfranchised because when I was 20 and I graduated from nursing school, I took an oath to do no harm. And the one place that I could be that I felt like I was authentic in my life, that I wasn't lying, was at the hospital. 
And when I started to see that the the hospital environment was a big lie for me on the undercurrent, I started to get really disenfranchised and it started to affect my body. And I started to hate myself even more than I already did. And I started to do really self-destructive things, getting to into really promiscuous, uh, not promiscuous anymore. I was a grown person, uh, sexual activities that were really, really bananas. And so I was looking to connect. And so all of these things started to kind of pull me down into this, this downward spiral of self-loathing. And, you know, I was born 23 months apart from my older brother. And so at one point when I was a kid, my mother told me, uh, you know, I asked my mother, how come I was so close in age? And she said, well, you were the surprise baby. You know, we didn't plan for you. You were the surprise baby. And I took that as I was a mistake. And so I crafted my entire life around lying to people so that my mother would never find out that I was doing things that were outside of her grace. And so my whole life was built on lies. And so the one place at the hospital that I felt like I could be honest, I wasn't being honest. I wasn't being authentic. And so that was destroying me inside. And so I was eating horrible foods. I was smoking. I was, I was hanging out. I wasn't drinking that much. I was never really much of an alcohol person. Um, and so I started doing all this self-destructive stuff and it started to weigh on me. And I ended up cracking a vertebra in my spine and the relationship uh, that I was in for eight years came to a close. And that's when Cole and I had started hanging out and we were doing fitness challenges and stuff. And Cole was like, you know, I think you, you could benefit by going to a ceremony. And I was like, well, what's that? <laughs> and she said, well, you go into this. Well, actually, I met a guy named John Zay and John Zay said to me, he said, you're really deep. Have you ever thought about psychedelics? I was like, what's that? He's like, well, you go into a circle with people and you take these plants and you go into this psychedelic realm and you find yourself. I was like, oh no, I'm not doing that. Right. You want me to do drugs with hippie white people. I'm not doing that. And so, and so fast forward, uh, Cole tells me this several years later and she's like, oh yeah, you go into this circle with people and you take these plants and you go into psychedelic realm and you find yourself. And I think that you'd be an asset to the psychedelic community because of the way you think and the way you're able to navigate things. And I was like, oh, you want me to do some drugs? So maybe white people, I'm not doing that. I said, the drug's going to turn me into a crackhead. And I grew up in the eighties and all of this stuff. And it, it got to that point where I broke my back and she was like, what do you have to lose? Huh? And I was like, Actually, you lost everything at that point. So I was like, nothing left to lose. She, she said, what do you have to lose? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. But I, I know one thing is that I've trusted this woman more than I've trusted any human being in my life. And she's showed up in every way I possibly could have dreamed about accepting me in my truths. And, um, you know, and I had an, you know, another add on is I had insomnia for 30, for 40, it was 30 years I had insomnia, 30 years from 14 to 40. Uh, from 14 like to 44, <clears throat> yeah. 14 to 44. And um, when I was able to tell this woman my truths, I started to go to sleep. And so that was a big thing for me. And so I was like, all right, I'll do it for you. <laughs> and so I went and I had my first psychedelic experience and it scared me because I didn't realize until that point that I was a control freak and I was trying to control everything in my life so that everybody would love me or somebody would love me or my mother would never find out. And so I let go. And when I let go of all of the inauthenticity and I let go of all of these things, my entire life changed. My body changed. The way I was able to uh, 
transmit information back and forth between myself and other human beings and between other human beings completely shifted and everything that I learned in my life all came together at once. And it was, it was radical. And over the course of the next 12 months, I went to psychedelic events once a month for the next 12 months. And Cole said that she's never seen anybody grow as fast as they have, as I had in that, in that period of time. And like some of the facilitators were like, man, like some of the stuff that you come up with is crazy. And so I'm, I started to lean into walking in the, in the, in the gifts and the talents that I have around facilitation and, and be just being an integrator. And then people started to ask Cole and I to do psychedelic events. And we were like, we're not facilitators. We don't do that. And then one time we leaned in and we did a group and the people had these amazing transformations. And so we started to do psychedelic experiences and support people in those spaces for, for a while, for, for a good amount of time. And so this is, that was the start of, of us facilitating and, we eventually got into where we are now and Cole can tell you more about that. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing. Mm-hmm. Still unfolding. <laughs> still, we still Isn't it always? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Life, life. There's just so much dynamic flow and uh, gosh, there's just so many touch points that I'm not really quite sure where, <laughs> where well, to go I mean, from here. It's just like so fucking powerful and, and thank you. And I don't know if I've ever said that on this podcast, but <laughs> Yay. You yeah. know what Just, though, there's the, the interesting thing is like we can share our story with all these like traumatic bits and pieces and we'll have people, especially biohackers. This is my why I love we're on y'all's podcast in particular with biohackers. So that was the majority of our clients for like four years, 2018 mm-hmm. until 2022 was mostly biohackers, functional medicine, practitioners, doctors that in that vein. And the most fascinating thing is eight out of 10, because we survey in our intake process very deeply, like from birth story and the history of the mother at that point until now. And eight out of 10 of those surveys were people who didn't necessarily have like the kind of traumas that we've had, what we would call a a capital T trauma, but they had something more insidious around like people pleasing and fawning and performance, particularly in biohacking. And what we found that was the most common in in our forms was the father gave significance and love for high achievement, whether through academia or sports, and either didn't recognize or emotionally contracted if the person didn't perform, or the father was emotionally absent, which could also be physically absent. But that a lot of stomach issues and thyroid, we saw far more prominently in high-performing biohackers. So when we started to look at the childhood experiences, we started to see all these similarities of where people either didn't want to say the wrong thing, like they wanted to be nice. And so it's like hold it in. So they'd have stomach issues and thyroid and teeth. So pretty much like nose to collarbone, throat, thyroid communication. Could I verbalize? Was I free to express? And where I grew up in Utah, you didn't, you know, if it wasn't nice, you didn't say it kind of a thing. And so the withholding we see a lot and then gut issues, which for us, over digesting, concern, worry, all of those things, because on a undercurrent there, the body is being driven that if I don't perform, then I'm going to lose significance and love. And that's a deep primal survival mechanism. And so it was so fascinating because we, as we sat and looked at all the data, we're all, whoa, eight out of 10 
Like that's crazy that we could see came from their relationship with their father. And quite often they were high performers whose father gave significance or recognition for the high achievement. And the person developed mechanisms in their body that if I don't high achieve highly, that I'm unlovable or that people won't value me. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. And I will say with your intake form, I was so blown away by all the questions. Like I actually really enjoyed filling it out. But when I was first looking at doing something like your retreat, you know, I'm like, oh, I had a great childhood. I don't have any trauma. I don't have anything to work on. You know, I want to be a better human. That was kind of my goal. And even on the intake form, the the adverse childhood events, is that what Ace, Ace? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, Ace. I had zero. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, but then I started to learn all about the concepts of acting from a place of, you know, the guilt, the shame, like you said, not speaking up. I had horrific stomach problems started when I was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. My parents took me to all the best doctors, Johns Hopkins, everywhere. And they're like, we think your daughter has anxiety. Like there was nothing wrong with my digestive tract, right? But it was all that that worry, worry not wanting to speak up, wanting to be successful. I've always been that driven person that, and I'm still guilty of it. I still catch myself. If I'm not being productive and successful, am I a good human? Like I still catch myself and, and I worked through some of that in Costa Rica and I'm still, you know, on that journey, but it, it, it's just, it's also fascinating to me where, where things can stem from. Yeah. It's a tremendously fascinating space when you consider the trauma that can happen to a person's constructs. We are constantly thinking about a person's mental space. We're constantly thinking about their body. We're constantly thinking about their emotions. But the constructs that a person ascribes to as far as identity, race, religion, ethnicity, family structure, all of those things are constructs. And if your construct is threatened, it has no way to protect itself other than to activate a trauma sequence. And a trauma sequence is there to protect the organism. It's there to protect the body. It's there to protect all parts of the human, the, the human being. And if we don't look at the constructs that a person is ascribing to as far as being traumatized, we will miss a whole thick layer of that human organism, that human experience. And so this is part of what we teach at the Condor Approach is about societal constructs and how important they are because they don't have a body other than the body that you have. And so if they're not feeling safe, they're going to activate through you and you may not understand why. And so this is where getting intimate with the self is tremendously important. And there is so many other aspects of, if we just remove the term trauma as even being, you know, people measure it where it's like, well, I wasn't in like a crazy car accident. Nothing terrible happened. That that means absent of trauma versus if you just look at adaptations from experiences and only looked at that. A child having a surgery at four when they don't understand the context means that they could have a fear of being in control because on a physical level, they lost control. Or let's say they had to be tied down because they had to get stitches or something. That constraint teaches the physical instincts of the body of danger. So if they go to a hospital and they hear the beeps or the smells, that's the instinctual intelligence of the body fighting because it's made an association, something is painful. And so if we removed even the word trauma, like a child getting pushed off a swing could make them not trust anyone ever standing behind them because their body senses and someone standing behind them. Or I had a woman that had severe anxiety. She could not just like walk through the house 
and not feel a high level of anxiety and no one knew why. When we got deeper into her processes, when she was little, her brother used to jump out and scare her all the time. So her body was rigid and afraid of something unknown jumping out at any moment. So would we call that trauma? No, a lot of people would call that funny, would be that kid stuff. But her body learned that there is unexpected potential harm around any turn. And so that's where my opportunities in working with people, because even in my experiences, I was comparing my trauma to other people's and going, yeah, but I'm blessed. Like I have had, I'm so lucky. Like I, I called myself Murphy's law in one way, but that I always had the best case scenario where it's like, I got kicked off a horse and kicked in the face, but it only clipped my nose. But that was how I lived my life. And I wouldn't actually allow myself to feel or experience the emotions or the hurt or the pain that came with those things because I didn't feel like I deserved to because of my privileges. So it was this really interesting comparative thing. Yeah. yeah. That resonates massively, the comparison that kind of our culture teaches us to have. And I've had that as well, where I feel like I don't have big T trauma. Sure, I have little T trauma. And I I love the reframe of just having these experiences. But I certainly have diminished particular instances and emotions that have come up in my life because I look at others and same thing. I feel grateful. How could I possibly complain about this? This couldn't be that bad. But when you think about the body just being in survival mode, we're always in survival and trying to adapt where is that stuck energy going in the body? And I love the the somatic experience because I think our, our physical body can be such a great communicator. And I remember uh, remembering when I heard you guys speak at Paleo FX, you had, I don't know what you call it, but there was a oh. physical, uh, like a spongy, what do you call that thing? Web. No, it's a kid's puzzle thing. On it's Amazon. a kid's puzzle, like the contraction. Yeah. It's pretty much, it looks almost like a molecule or a cell. And when you expand it open, we call that like the openness. This is what a psychedelic experience can create, right? A heart opener with something like MDMA, but on a body level, if someone gets triggered, it shuts down. So it contracts all the way in and what we call into the body level of instinctual survival mode. And so it's one of our favorite ways to show the difference when someone's open and someone's closed, because that moment a trigger happens is that contraction. And it goes for us mm-hmm. into their instincts, which is mm-hmm. to protect themselves. And mm-hmm. sometimes that comes with anger. Sometimes it comes with a freeze or dissociation. Yeah. I, I just think that's so powerful. I, Renee and I both grew up as dancers and then I became a personal trainer. So I'm very much in the body. And so in that space, you're taught if there is pain, you know, it's muscular or skeletal, there's got to be something you can change in your physical routine. And I've learned over time, oh my gosh, that one event is like stuck in my freaking shoulder. Mm-hmm. I got to spend some time there. And I think uh, most people are just not even allowed the possibility that that is an opportunity. <sighs> Shoot. I totally lost my train of thought. Um, oh. Oh, hi. Hi, biohackers. Do you have trouble recalling names, dates, or where you left things? Maybe you're finding it difficult to focus during the day or notice yourself zoning out when you're trying to complete a task. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then come follow me because I am on a quest to optimize my brain health. 
So Newtopia, a buy optimizers company, has created a brand new one-of-a-kind product called Kala Genius. I am so obsessed with that name. Kala Genius is a powder blend of five potent superfoods, collagen, and 1.2 pounds of four different concentrated mushrooms, including lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. This cutting-edge blend is a powerful way to rebuild your brain and rewire it for maximum energy, focus, and performance in less than 30 days. When you take a serving of Kala Genius, you can expect to feel calm, alert, and energized. Your ability to memorize and recall information will improve. I can certainly feel a difference from when I take it and when I don't. Additionally, you'll get a hefty dose of antioxidants for immune support and overall health. Kala Genius is really delicious. It's sweetened with a little bit of stevia and tastes like a rich chocolate elixir that I love to mix into my smoothies, protein shakes, overnight oats, and even my morning grass-fed Greek yogurt. I find it's really hard to find a potent superfood and supplement that actually tastes really delicious, but Collagenius has done it. If you feel like your brain could use a little boost, we do not want you to miss out on this brain-boosting, amazing new product. And there's really no risk to try it because you're protected by a 365-day full money-back guarantee. That is how confident by optimizers feels about what they've created. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to newtopia.com backslash biohackerbabesgenius and use the code biohackerbabes10 during checkout to save 10%. All right, brain, I think we're back on track. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. I mean, for in getting into working with psychedelics for when I was going for healing, like really understanding how to bring my body into ease, because for us, health is a spectrum from ease to dis-ease. So it's just what direction are you moving and where are you on the spectrum as far as ease and disease? That is your health. And in one of my psychedelic experiences is when I was shown that my endometriosis had been the internalization of shame from assaults on my sexuality and my beliefs in being raised Mormon and what that meant because it was the week after my birthday when I turned eight, which is when you get baptized. And that shame complex around my reproductive area was my uh, the same time I started my cycle, my period when I was 14 going into high school, it was the hello dance. And that's the night that I ended up in the hospital for a, a ovarian torsion, which means my ovary was twisted and dying. To me, the psychedelic experience showed that that shame was literally me hating myself and the guilt that was twisting up those internal organs. Because on another level in those assaults, I also had pleasure. So it was still like I did something bad and I should have stopped it and the typical things we hear from kids. But it wasn't the event. It was my thoughts surrounding the event and what that meant about me, especially because there was an element of pleasure that caused that dysfunction. And I haven't had a laparoscopy or gone in for any surgical anything since 2009. Probably should have been 2011, but I didn't have insurance. That's another story. Um, But since then, it was actually recognizing, one, that it isn't happenstance and it's not a coincidence. And that's what, you know, our program is called the Condor Approach because it was the journaling system that I developed to start to translate my body's language None of it is happenstance. If you suddenly, like if one day an old injury is acting up, for us, that's not a coincidence. It's not just a change in the weather. It means there's a change in your environment, your thoughts, your actions, your beliefs, something changed. But most people are not tracking it. They're tracking tracking their heart rate variability. 
They're tracking their sleep score, but they're not track, tracking where are things expressing in my body? Because I assure you, if you timeline from birth to now, any health conditions and look at what was going on in my external environment and how that may be represented in the literal function of the body part, you're experiencing it just out of curiosity. You will learn more about how amazing your body is and that intelligence than you can possibly imagine. And the level two of psychedelic exploration is when you're not doing it to heal anymore, you've created a state of healing in your system that you start to actually work with your body for what you do want versus getting out of what you don't. And you start to speak to your cells and you start to speak to your hair and your saliva and your microbiome. If you haven't journeyed and talked to your microbiome, you're missing like massive intelligence, (laughs) y'all. I have not yet to add that to the list. I mean, it's such a a great opportunity to get curious because you're right. We don't talk to our bodies. And I think pain is such a great teacher and we're not taught that we're allowed to listen. So would you say that psychedelics are kind of a, a... it's an invitation to be curious on an ongoing basis. It can be. And it can, psychedelics can open you up to a space where you let go of the blockade to be curious. Mm -hmm. We are taught to stifle our curiosities because when you get too curious, you know too much. And if you know too much, Mm. you're independent. And if you're independent, you're a threat to systems. And this is, this is how systems have been built. If we, if we're all independent, then what is the system? How does the system survive in a systems of construct? And so if the system, if this, if you being independent, is a threat to the construct, it it activates through the nervous systems of the people that are inside the system. And so then you'll mm-hmm. get isolated and then you'll get lonely and then you'll be in a space where you'll start to fall apart because we are pack animals. So Yes. You know? We are pack so animals. It, I love that. Yeah, we are pack animals. And so it's really, really important to understand these dynamics and how they work with us. We 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 are trained to stifle our curiosity. And that becomes a neurological habit that's in wired into the brain. And when you have a psychedelic experience that kind of loosens that old program so that you can actually be curious in a different way. So this is where curiosity with psychedelics is a really, really awesome place because it's like, man, I didn't even think about that before you thought about it, but you've stifled it. And so now you're able to see something differently than you have because the programming is loosened. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that maybe this is a new concept for like, where do they begin? I mean, obviously there's the legality of it in the US, right? We have to be careful where we are, but but how does someone get started in this space if they're ready to do the work? Yeah. I mean, I find that one of the most helpful ways to start is to literally write a letter to the substance you believe is the teacher you're drawn to and really express what your intention is. Now for us, intention is what do you want to know? What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Or what do you want to understand? Know, do, be, understand. One of those becomes your intention or some combination. And I found that when it's time, it finds you. And finding you does not mean it's in front of you or someone says, hey, here's a retreat. It's a deeper calling in your body because just like it can be an incredible tool for healing, it can also be an incredible tool for trauma that is much harder to unravel because psychedelics are mimicking impact and repetition in the brain. And so that also means if you go somewhere uh, that you don't actually feel safe, 
or the facilitator might be doing things in a way that is not comfortable to you or too far out of, like, let's say you are more religious and you go to someone that's a bit more in a shamanic practitioner. I've had people come back and they felt like it was evil, but the conditioning they had in religion is what the lens they were looking through. So part of it is knowing yourself enough and a great place to start with that, I think, is reading the book Mind Body Code by Mario Martinez. You know, understanding some of your lenses is going to help you in selecting your facilitator. Uh, We can leave you a link for something we called Finding Your Facilitator Questionnaire. Because as you find more access in, we'll assume it's in a legal capacity, to be curious because there's also a lot of misinformation out there. People saying, oh, well, it's a religion, so it's legal. No, it's defensible in court. Not the same thing. And so there's really not legal access in the United States because federally it is still illegal. Now, if you have a melanin level like us three ladies do and something happens, you're probably going to be fine. Um, however, if you're Taz tone or darker, that may not, depending on culturally where you live, I think that the misinformation that we're doing things that are legal is putting more black and brown bodies at a higher risk because it's not true information. So it's also being responsible in who you're sitting with, how you're sitting and how you share and disperse the information and a great way to start to learn Unfortunately, most of it you can't even Google because cities and states can't even agree between decriminalization, medicalization. It's a mess. Um, Large companies are on the verge of filing bankruptcy that have been around for a long time. And so it's a very, very messy system. So if I was going to say where people could start, I would say write a letter. If it's ayahuasca, if it's mushrooms, if it's whatever, Start developing that relationship now, and when it's time, you will meet each other exactly when it's time without attachment to when it needs to be. And then you can always look at local psychedelic chapters, right? Like we have Psy Texas here, where it's just like different psychedelic associations. And remember that just because someone had an incredible experience with a facilitator does not mean it's the person for you. And so having something like our facilitator questionnaire, which we'll give the link, it's a free download. It's not about getting the right answers. It's how do you feel in your body with the answers the person gives you? Because we're entering also in an era with a lot of people that don't have a lot of experience. And unfortunately, they're never motivated to learn more until something happens that forces them to face what they don't know, uh, which is why we shifted fully into integration education and how to really integrate yourself, uh, integrate and support your own community. Because right now it's very top down government integration structures, which for us is grossly under uh, utilized. And in ketamine clinics completely, I mean, what we're seeing, we wouldn't call integration, we would call it therapeutic support, but it is not telling helping someone take the experience and what does this mean in my life? What are the conversations that need to happen as a result? Integration never ends. So if we don't teach someone the skills and how to illuminate and create and eradicate things, then they're going to have to go back again versus creating systems. So a lot of rambling to say, keep reading, keep learning, 
Uh, you can always go to maps.org if you're looking for the research parts, but I'm sure y'all know with supplementation and biohacking, be mindful about research. It always has a bias and an intention. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I was going to leave one parting piece of advice with next steps, mushrooms in particular come in lots of different um, species is what I call them, different strengths. And so two grams of one thing is not two grams of another. And how it was grown, who grew it, and whose hands it touched will all impact your ceremony or your experience. So I would want to know some of those things before I just started diving in personally. You'll learn them, but <laughs> there's funner there's, ways. There's, there's, a lot of, yes. there's a lot of things to consider, and um, thank you for that, Cole. There's a lot of things to consider, and being informed is a really, really important space. There's a lot of information out there. And one of the resources I send people to when they're looking to learn about psychedelics is a website called Sapien Soup, like Homo Sapien. It's Sapien Soup, S-A-P-I-E-N-S-O-U-P. And they have a whole thing on psychedelics. And it's designed for people who are looking to start to understand how psychedelics work in, in place of antidepressants, how MDMA works from a from a very, very basic space where they actually show you how the neurotransmitters move from one space to the next in a, in a space that I'd say a fifth, sixth grader could understand. And so it's really, really, it's really comprehensive and it's really, it's, it's portioned out in digestible spaces. So I highly recommend going there. It's Sapien Soup. I think it's slash psychedelics. But you can just go to Sapien Soup and scroll to the bottom and it says, check out our expose on psychedelics. That's one thing that I would highly recommend people lean into is Sapien Soup. It's been one of the most people are like, oh, man, thank you for sending me to this resource. This is awesome. It's really, really important that people start to get informed, ask questions, and not just read stuff on Google and the Internet. Talk to your friends. Okay, because people are people are very curious about stuff. There's a lot of stigma and shame. So people are like, I don't want to say that I'm doing drugs. And so most people are like, oh, I didn't think anybody was doing this but me. And it's every, most people are leaning into it. So talk to your friends about it. Let's remove the stigma. That's a huge part of learning about this is removing the stigma. Go to some conferences. There's psychedelic conferences popping up all over the world, all over the country, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Go to a conference. Spring to 100. And they don't cost that much to get into to, to get into the, you know, the expo area, 150, 200 bucks. It'd be one of the most important things that you've ever done in your life. And get empowered. The next thing I would invite people to do is something we call the expansion equation. Whenever a person is looking to expand, this is what I offer them. Curiosity plus courage equals expansion. And if you're not curious, you're not going to expand. But when you're curious and you take the courageous step to actually ask about things, to actually explore things, to actually research things, that is where your expansion happens. Always move in that space in safety. Make sure that you're, there's no threat of harm, hurt, loss, deficit, injury, or death. Make sure that you're safe. The people that you're around are safe and lean into yourself. You got this. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is great advice for getting started. And and yeah, I think the universe will will guide you when you're ready. Like I, it, it just blows my mind. I mean, to think where I was three years ago, couldn't bet money that I'd be having this conversation right now. There's no way. You know, I, in high school, I had a lot of friends that were doing cocaine, heroin. I lost a good friend to a heroin overdose. So I was in the mindset, 
all drugs are bad. I will never touch anything, you know, and obviously those are very different drugs. I'm just saying it's amazing how things flow. And even leading up to coming to Costa Rica with you both, I had looked at a retreat center in Costa Rica that did ayahuasca. I had it in my checkout cart online three different times. It kept coming back to me. It kept coming back to me. I just never clicked go. Whatever was stopping me, it was, you know, for a reason. And then I met you both and just things kept flowing into my life and the timing was just perfect. So I think for anyone that is getting started, you know, stay open-minded, try and listen to that intuition and see what things are, are coming your way and, and try and flow with that the best you can. Mm-hmm. So, and and it's exposing yourself to other narratives because if you only Google, then you're going to kind of see the same voices sharing the same data and the same research. So I would Echo also chamber. Say, yeah, to expand yep. who you're learning from, looking at, you know, other, well, I mean, the simplest way to say it, to say it is finding non-white spaces to be hearing other narrative from. Um, there's a lot of conferences that are happening that Oakland Hi-Fay, the Oakland Psychedelics Conference that they put together that are sharing more indigenous practices, more elders of tradition and different perspectives. I mean, if you go to most of the conferences right now, they'll say that a hero's dose is four or five grams. You expose yourself to other communities where you're not even starting to know mushrooms until seven. And so these are two different beliefs. And I've worked with enough people that 10, 20, I met a woman that did a hundred grams of mushrooms and you don't start there, right? This is, she grew up in that world. She started having mushrooms at microdose as a child. It's been literally, it's a part of her lineage, a part of who and what she is. And when it's done with someone that it comes from the tradition, when you look at where it comes from in Mexico and different lost traditions that are starting to be a bit more pieced together, we'll say, a higher dose is just taking you to a different place. But when we attach an assignment that four or five grams makes you a hero, then you would have to also have an adversary within yourself or something else versus going into experiences. What do I need to know, do, be, or understand for my purpose, my path, my relationships versus what's wrong with me? I need to figure it out. And what I have found is under five grams, it's more about you. After five grams, it has nothing to do with you. And that's the only way I I can explain it for myself. Like you start to, there is a exposure to things where you start to see literally how tiny you are, where I feel like under five grams, you feel like you actually see how connected you are to everything. And then beyond that, you actually see how tiny you are in contrast to the everything because you keep going to all these new places. And it's like being dropped in a new country that as soon as you kind of feel like you know a place, you bring that dosage up you're in a new place that you don't recognize or understand just like a different country. And that's not to say more is better. It's different. And so for me, even using the terms like high dose uh, or hero's dose, I mean, just that is one narrative that when you'll look at someone like Baba Kalindi who passed in 2020 and just look up podcasts, there was one called, you can't say that when I think that was his last interview that was posted uh, with Baba Kalindi, K-I-L-I-N-D-I-I-Y-I. For him, 50 grams was going into other dimensions and actually getting intelligence to bring back to this plane. Now, that could sound way out there for someone, and you you don't have to go there, right? It's that there are other 
models operating that as long as you stay in an echo chamber, you're going to get the same results and it might not be the space for you or the info for you. We can compare that with women's health, right? A lot of the research is without women as far as like the hormone system of a female bodied ovary uterus person. We're left out of the research. Same as the case with psychedelics. We are leaving out a lot of other narratives. And so we are getting a very myopic view of what is possible with this work spiritually and physically. What's up, biohackers? What if I told you there was a supplement that is helpful for immune health, dental health, skin care, even can help our pets at times, and it has actually been used by many ancient civilizations for a long, long time? I am talking about silver today. It was actually used before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s. Uh, silver was used in hospitals and is still used today. And we do want to be careful about the quality of silver. This is why we love the silver soul technology. It's not ionic. It's actually a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. So what you really need to remember is that it's more effective and more efficient at lower parts per million. And the silver soul technology that we love is 10 to 33 parts per million versus there's other companies that have up to 3,000 parts per million. So the takeaway more is not always better. And the company that we really, really love to use is Silver Biotics because they have a wide range of products, like I said, for immune-specific, dental-specific, even the pet care, wound care, all of these great options. And the Silver Soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects, so using multiple modes of action on how it targets invaders. It uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, to kickstart the immune system. So especially through the winter, we love using the immune support. So if you want to check out these awesome products, you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. I have one last thing to add for people who are listening. Don't stop there. <laughs> one, last, one more thing. One final. One more thing. <laughs> um, get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Get over yourself. This will help you tremendously. Get over yourself and in the form of judgment. When you judge yourself, you limit yourself. When I am judgy, I limit myself. And so I can't let myself move beyond things. And so judgment usually comes from an established construct of how someone should be. And when we have shoulds, shoulds get in the way of what we actually are, because it's saying that I'm not what I am actually doing. I'm not how I am. And so when we judge, we remove the possibility of being who we are at a foundational level. And that includes our explorations. I should, 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 should. And if, when I, when I put a judgment like that on myself or the things around me, I cannot explore with the deepest of curiosities. So I'm inviting that space is to please get over yourself, get over the judgments and uh, that people have programmed into you and get curious and be as safe as you possibly can in your curiosities with yourself. And I'm not talking about just in, in diving into psychedelic spaces. I'm talking about every space in your life. Practice it with your family. Practice it in your conversations. Get over yourself. Get beyond the judgment, family. We have been taught to stifle ourselves. That's the one thing that we've, we, we know everything that we need to know. We've been talked out of it. And we've taught ourselves how to meticulously talk ourselves out of being what we need to be and what we are as a foundation. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my, my I love additional yeah. situation. I love my, what Toss said about yeah. the get over yourself because it's funny that when we come often with psychedelics, we find out like we've been stifling and not using our voice and playing small. Like you hear that a lot. I'm playing small. When really 
that is the most like self-absorbed thing is like on some level, we think that if I show up fully, that's what self-absorbed is. I think I'm better than everyone else. When in actuality, when we're playing small, we're only thinking about us and not the impact and the people not being helped as a result of us playing small. So we're actually letting our distaste of ourself take such a bigger role than the people we could help. And so it's a fascinating place to get into psychedelics where you start to see the intricacy and the complexity and then how we complicate things. And you start to see these little nuances. And that's why translating your body's language is important because what's the difference between I'm playing small and I don't feel safe? What's the difference between not right now and no, this isn't correct for me. Like all those little things, your body has little cues and techniques and feelings to cue you, but most people are not tracking it to discern. So either their instincts, their instincts, because of past experiences, if I put myself out there, someone might hurt me versus it's not time. Trust yourself. It's, it's not ready yet. And all those little nuances, your body will cue you. And so I love what he said, where on some level, it's like putting yourself out there doesn't make you a bad person and playing small doesn't make you a good person. If you look at a a bigger view of the impact you are destined to make, then you playing small is creating harm because you could be doing something. And so that's where psychedelics offer a massive perspective. You see things through a different lens and you're like, okay, not only am I thinking, who am I not to? If I don't, like when we first started facilitating, if I don't, then people are just going to go to whoever, which that's ter- that was terrifying to me. So I was actually motivated to step out fuller because I didn't want people I cared about to be, to go to some of these overnight shaman that we're having sexual predatory things happening in their circles or going down to the jungle where there's something called gringa hunters. And that's a podcast for another day, okay. but it's all, <laughs> there's so much y'all, but this is the thing. The second you'll stay in what Ta was talking about with the expansion creation and stay in curiosity. I've been in this work for 15 years. ta has been in this work for 10 years it takes you three, two to three years before you start to realize there's a lot you don't know. And then by like six years, you stop trying to know anything. Because you don't know. Because you don't know shit. <laughs> Sounds like nutrition for me. That's the, true in the health field. Yes. Yeah. The more I learn, oh the more I God, do not Oh my God, I'm know. this big. <laughs> you don't know anything. Yeah, so. but I think, oh, please, please. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. you. Um, yeah, so when I say get over yourself, it's because the, the singular person, we are a, we are part of a whole. And so when I say get over yourself, I'm really saying get into the connectivity, get into the symbiotic nature of your your participation in existence. So get over the individual self because you are part of a collective, whether you recognize it or not. I think that's so important. And and that's a huge motivation for why I biohack because I'm trying to get out of my own way so I can step into the collective. And it's so freaking hard and I'm not there trying all the time. But yeah, I think we have a huge responsibility. And if we can tap into that intuition, but I think 
uh, for so many reasons. And I'll just speak as a female, it's scary because we're taught to diminish or we're taught to take care of someone else before ourselves, or we're taught that we'll be canceled if we say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And it can be scary feeling like you may be the only one if you step out. And so obviously community is huge. And then the big, beautiful mural on the back of your wall, integration is not optional. Like Mm -hmm. knowing that we can have integration, we have to have integration and that there potentially is a community that will really support that. How do we even start to begin looking at integration and how do you get people to commit to that? Because maybe you say yes to the medicine. How do you make sure that there's also a commitment to the integration? (laughs) Well, I mean, people don't do it until they have to usually look at if someone goes, here's an example of integration because you're always integrating. And that's why we actually say integration is not optional, but how you integrate is because no matter what you will integrate. So I compare it to like a broken bone. If I break my arm, I don't have to get a cast. It will heal somehow. How functional how functional it'll be, how long it might take, how it well it operates would all be impacted. But if I get a cast, it puts my body in a position so that it can heal. It's supportive. So for us, having like an integration coach is like having a cast. But you don't put the cast there to stay there. It's only there to have the support system for the bone to heal. And then the cast must come off or else that codependency would atrophy the muscle if the arm becomes dependent on the cast for strength versus protection. And so in the coaching space, a lot of times people can get lost in, they're not trying to be supportive for clients. They're trying to be the foundation, the muscle, the strength for the client, right? And so just like people typically don't go to physical therapy after a surgery, how many people, oh, I'm supposed to go, I had a shoulder injury, I'm supposed to rehab it. That's integration. You had an, a, an event happen that caused some, you know, a reaction, adaptations. You have to do exercises to get it to integrate back into a position that's functional and people don't which is why most ketamine clinics or retreat centers, when they say, oh yeah, we can offer integration, it's an add-on, nobody pays for it. Because they're like, I've already spent so much money. I'll be good. I'll be fine. Just like it's like, go to the physical therapist three times a week. Oh no, I'll do the exercises at home. No, they won't. So we're here to say, it's going to happen no matter what, but at some point you're going to get, you'll be tired of yourself (laughs) and not getting the results and paying for retreat after retreat or not being able to because you realize the effects are not lasting. Why? Because you are not taking action to create a process to even know if it's working for you because not every substance is for you or for every person and every process. Even knowing what substance might be more supportive if you're having adrenal issues, I don't recommend ayahuasca, for example. You're already fatigued. You might build to it. There might be a path to it, but there might be a different way first. So in consideration with integration comes down to, if you want to learn, come to our training. If you want to check out some first initial details, we'll give you the link to a free book. We have tons of free stuff to get people started. But until you're tired of not getting the results that you want or ending up in a place you don't want to be, people don't pay for different just like All of us are here because the lives we were in got so crappy, we were over it, so we pieced out to do it different. But most people are motivated by desperation and not by hope and inspiration, not to last anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my own health journey 
I hated my job and I was burnt out and felt like shit. So I had to make some changes. And I think it was the point of desperation. So I wanted to circle back to something that you both kind of brought up with intuition. I had a really interesting experience in Costa Rica where, how do I explain this without giving too many details? Something came up and I said, yeah, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to do it. And Cole, you said something in your body is intuitively saying it's not, uh, how do you say it? If it's not a hell, yes, it's a hell no. It's a no. And there was, and it was something that in my real, my, my normal life, I wouldn't have even thought twice about, I would have been like, yeah, I'll do it and just do it. But there was something that was just like, not really feeling it. And so I keep thinking back to that moment and I'm like, God, there's so many things in life. I think we can tie back to that intuition, but we don't ever take the moment to feel that. And I know you both do that with nutrition as well, right? You, you'll sit down to a plate and you're like, I don't care if it, I think, uh, Ty, you said, I don't care if it's a $75 steak that I've had five times this year, not going to do it. It says no, it is a no period. Yeah. I stopped leaning into things that my body said no to. And a lot of my childhood was you clean that plate because there's people starving and you need to, you know, you need to eat for those people who are not eating. And no matter what it is, you're going to eat it. And so I used to have, when I met Cole, I used to have a, you know, it was a big thing. She's like, why are you eating that? That, that, that doesn't look like you're enjoying it. I'd look it. at his face and I'd be like, you don't look like you, you like that. And I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> and so she was like, what if you just didn't eat it? And I was like, well, you can do that. <laughs> it was a big, like, this is part of me getting over myself. Right. You know, it's like, you know, if, if food came in the, at the restaurant and it, it wasn't cooked properly or something, she'd like, send it back. I'm like, you could do that. Right? Like this was a thing for me. And so, yeah, if, if, if my body says no, it's a no, it's a clear no. When I was a kid, and this is something that, you know, I, I love to bring up when I'm on podcasts and stuff is particularly because white people have no idea uh, of, of the things that happen in black households. When it's like, if you don't eat all the chicken off the bones, that's white people shit, right? You, you didn't, Facts. You didn't eat all the, you better eat, go better, go back and eat that chicken. <laughs> Stop I've literally, playing. I've literally had times his family's like, "Are you going to eat that?" I'm like, "I was done." <laughs> but oh my God. you know, and it's like, oh, we'd be at restaurants, and there'd be people. The rest, the waiter would come at another table and take like a half a plate of food away, and we'd be like, "Oh my gosh, look at all that food just going to waste!" And so, and, and I learned that you clean that plate, and you are grateful for everything that you get, and you put it in your body, no matter what. If somebody brings you cotton candy and you don't like it, you have to eat the whole cotton candy. Like that's the way it was. And so now I'm like, if my body says no, it is an absolute no, period. I mean, look at that boundary issue. A lot of people have boundary issues. And so we'll say on one hand, well, you need to be grateful. Well, just eat it because they made it. But if it's not sitting well in my system, I'm actually then non-consensually developing a relationship with my body of not considering its needs and its boundaries. And so if I'm getting mad at people outside of me for either physically or verbally not upholding a boundary, and yet I'm not upholding a boundary that something doesn't feel good or it doesn't resonate for my body for someone else, I'm doing to myself the very thing I've sworn off I wouldn't tolerate from other people anymore. And that was like my next evolution in my personal work was first I stopped letting other people cross my boundaries. 
then I had to learn and I had to see, I didn't have to, but I saw all the places I was being non-consensual with my body in workouts, in regimens, in, oh, I know I haven't had enough sleep, but I have to be up at 5.30 for this fitness class, right? Because I'm dedicated. But then what was really happening is I was being non-consensual with my body and abusing it in my language. And so that isn't something I really don't think I could have found any other way. And the difference in how my body looks and operates now at 40 than when I was 30 and teaching 17 insanity classes a week. And I looked good. I didn't feel good. Mm. You know, and that's the thing that a lot of people fail to, or they just maybe don't understand if you haven't been in the fitness world. Someone that's look fit, if you start getting to know people that are um, doing shows. It is the most unhealthy in the world, like competitions for whether it's bikini or bodybuilding. I'd watch some of my friends, you know, lose 40 pounds and then throw on 40 pounds in short periods of time for a show. And some of the most toxic, like gut issues and adrenal issues and hair falling out because again, they're still abusing themselves. It just is more socially acceptable to look that way for abuse versus being overweight or obese. There is a shame to, well, you don't, you have a lack of control, but then people that are over controlling, we're like, yeah, but it still serves society. So it's fine. And a zero on the ACEs score. Zero on the ACEs score, but these things, when mm. you do things like this, you're traumatized. This is a traumatic sequence for your body. You're putting things in it that are harming it. And so your body is inside silently fighting off all the things that, that you are putting in it against its, you know, against its will. Right. And so it's, it's a, it's a thing. And this is trauma, right? These are micro traumas. And as they build up and they build up and they build up, the straw eventually will break the camel's back, mm -hmm. right? And so this is a really important consideration with people with biohacking and stuff like this is people will bypass these, these little micro traumas and they build up and they will, and then you'll end up coming to the ER. Hi, right? <laughs> because these are, these things are real. And so this is the stuff that when you start to get over yourself and you start to get over the, the stigmas and the rules that, that, didn't make sense to you as a kid. Like there's so many things that I was told as a kid, it just didn't make any sense. And I just did it anyway. And so it, it damaged my body. And so if you were to look at, there are pictures of me on Instagram when, between when I was, I think it was 36 and 46, the difference in my body, like I was working out six days a week in both pictures. The difference in my body is crazy. Like I've reconstructed an entire new body outside of lying and deceit and beating up myself and putting things in my body, like processed proteins and all of these things that they serve for wellness and fit, wellness and fitness. Like I got over that stuff and psychedelics was a big part of me realizing that I was leaning into other people's stories and what they were without actually confirming it for myself mm -hmm. and being able to track my body. That's integration. And that's that the guide that Cole has put together is absolutely amazing for tracking yourself. And that's integration for me. And, and, you know, when you had asked earlier about how we get people to start integrating, we have to start talking about it. Integration is not a very sexy word. You know, when kids talk about, when, when I ask kids what integration is, they don't know, but they know what disintegration is. Oh, I have a disintegrate array. Okay. Now and that all the dust is on the floor and then you put it back together. What do you do with that? You integrate. And so bringing this, these ideas into a space where it starts to become sexy. Integration is sexy to me. 
when somebody has their shit together, that's sexy. <laughs> Bring it together, oh, yeah. right? And so that's that's what it is for me. So ultimately, the goal yeah. is to get back. It's not well. Sometimes it's not back. Sometimes it's the first time trusting yourself. And so if you go into psychedelic spaces and you finally start learning to trust yourself and a plate gets set down in front of you and you eat it anyway, you are literally disavowing trusting yourself. I don't ask my body why. I just, if it's a no, there's, mm, which is no, but maybe, you know, there's more here. There's more information I don't understand. And then there's a firm no. And I've been at a restaurant where they set the food in front of me. And my body was like, nope. And I could have had it a thousand times. But if, if I look on a macro, if my biome, if my body, if my instinctual intelligence is like, there's E. coli in that, right? Or something that the body doesn't want. When I fully try, I can't tell you how many times we've gone to a restaurant and I go, mm, I don't eat it. Other people eat it and have upset stomachs for whatever reason, not even like food poisoning, but they don't feel good. And I'm like, thanks body. <laughs> I mean, you know. Oh, I've been there with the food poisoning. I went to Tulum and I like vetted the restaurants. I was like, I feel good about this in my body. And then I let my partner choose the next one. And I was like, no, no, no. And we got food poisoning. I mean, if we're going to talk about biohacking and we're going to talk about the gut brain axis and the amount of signals that move from the brain to the gut are less than the signals that move from the gut to the brain. The gut biome picks up on a lot on a frequency basis, and it will tell us what's functional and not. And if we are, if we're, if you're really looking to hack into what's going on with you, start talking to. I talk to my bugs every day. I talk to my gut. I'm talking. I'm talking not just to my intestines. I'm talking to all the things that are living in it. How y'all doing? What's going on? What feels nice? Like, give me a signal, right? And and I lean into this stuff, and I actually track it. My journal is loaded with all kinds of weird stuff. And this is one of the things that I encourage people to do: talk to your bugs. Talk to them. They're a part of who you are and what you are. And when we look at the, the levels of esteem we have, we we tend to hold our esteem in a hierarchy: spirituality, mind and mental processes. Heart uh, constructs, heart intuition, emotion space, the body, and then out on the bottom is the biome. And we usually keep the microbiome at the lowest esteem. And if we turn that hierarchy sideways and put all of those things at high esteem, the microbiome is not something that you discount. You really listen to that. And that's a hack. And that's something that when you take all those things and you bring them together, guess what? That's an integrated human experience. And so when we start looking at these things, at these pieces of us, and we start seeing how they can all work in tandem together, we don't put one better than the other, one more important than the other. They all are functional. And we start to see how integrated we can be. We are not just human beings. We are symbiont organisms with a lot of things living in us and on us. And when they are integrated... You can have a really amazing experience in this life. It's really yeah. when you're when you start to work with your body as a divine articulation of everything you've ever eaten. And actually, like I call my body the collective because I'll sit and and actually when I have an intention for going to an event, I'm at, I'm talking to every being, creature, cell in my body to set an intention and saying, I'm listening to you here. And I'll tap on my sternum when I'm talking to my body because I also believe that some of my physical sensations are my lineage, especially the women in my line who were cut off from, we'll call it witchcraft, botany, work, you know, the German side is part of what I've seen in some of my journeys that they're speaking through my cells. For me, if 
we can sit and talk about how genes express. What if that is our ancestors expressing, trying to tell us, trying to inform us? Yes, go that way. We're going to turn this expression on because you're not listening. You're not listening to the subtle cues. So we're going to turn on this dysfunction. Like for me, I see it more like a circuit board, like an operator. And when I started to listen to my body and really look for the whispers versus the dysfunction or what's wrong versus saying, what are you trying to tell me? My whole life changed. And so this is what we're so passionate about sharing. I mean, we have concepts for days and graphs and, you know, all of the mind things. We're here to bridge science and mysticism because for us, it's the same thing. We're just bridging the context. We can tell you for the crazy entity is the same as a construct or conditioning work through your body. And so this is for us moving forward, getting more psychedelic informed coaches, health coaches, because so many people are working with psychedelics now. What are the signs they're not integrating well, that it's too much for their body or too often or not enough? They might be riding on too low of a dose so their mind is still controlling too much. And so they need to go higher in order to get past this control wall like that they're butting up against. Knowing that, I, for me, every person that is coaching someone else must be psychedelic informed moving forward because so many people are doing it on their own and have nowhere to turn. And most of the integration trainings are teaching more of the facts and resources, not how do you work with the body? What are signs are too mu- of too much? What might allyship be? What do emotions serve? What are they protecting? What do they signal? And how do you support sovereignty in an individual without, while helping them be radically self-responsible for their sovereignty and really the coaching method. And so we're so grateful to have this time with y'all. Um, and we're always open for questions on Instagram. You can either go to Condor Coach. If you want to learn more like coaching tips through psychedelics, that's Condor Coach on Instagram. If you're looking for more like your personal experiences, it's the Condor Approach on Instagram. But we're getting ready to launch like seven pieces of content per day between YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and one other one is in there somewhere. So we're going to be sharing a lot of info. So that will be a great place to start for people that want it. Yeah. You have so much to offer. And I will just say a million times over, I learned so much from you in Costa Rica and all of your terms and graphs and guides, you know, the we uh, we and the states analysis. I mean, Ryan and I use it all the time. So I um, love that. So can you maybe share a little bit more what you have coming up this year? I know you have a couple of trainings when, where, who's that for? So there's two different trainings. One is for people that want to be psychedelic informed coaches. And that's a year training because we're, you have to learn how to share and not get your assets shut down, your Instagram shut down. If you don't know how to share it correctly, then you can get reported and shut down and lose your ads, lose your page. And so that's something we've spent a lot of time and money really understanding. And then how to also share being a psychedelic informed coach, not being a facilitator. We do not teach how to facilitate psychedelics. It's not legal. We're not teaching it. Um, on the flip side, we do lead retreats out of the country to, you know, for people to experience. So there's the coach side. How do I integrate psychedelic informed coaching as a part of my practice? So it's another skill tool. I understand kind of like being trauma informed doesn't make you an expert. It means you are informed, you're resourced, 
Um, and then the other channel is people that want to learn all the stuff we teach the coaches, but we teach it in a three day intensive. So you come for 10 hours over three days, we load you down, and then you also have a portal of videos. So we bring you all the concepts, we teach a concept, and then we go through the concepts. We're not just loading you with information. We help them kind of like Costa Rica was, right? We're doing it more that way for three days with a very intentional itinerary, but it's about gathering like-minded people. And also our containers are very culturally diverse, age diverse, gender diverse, um, ethnicity diverse. And that brings really powerful conversations to the table that don't really happen anywhere else. Um, and most people, when they come to our training, say that was the most impactful is that we'll sit and actually teach how to hold space for something like racism for something like, uh, what is to diversify something diverse from what, and being able to share various perspectives and gender dynamics for people that are non-binary to be able to fully share their experience because they've healed enough to hold space for someone that doesn't understand. And so we're teaching these things, but ultimately at the end of the day, we're teaching you how to first hold space for yourself to understand that little puzzle expansion thing we talked about, recognizing when someone else gets triggered, how to work with their nervous system, how to work with your own. So it's transformative for your personal relationships first but of course that translates into your work. So the Condor approach is the three-day intensive. The Condor coach certification includes four live events of five days. And then there's modules and calls every week. So that's the immersive, like you're obsessed with human behavior. You love learning why do people do what they do and why this emotion and what is it doing those, like the true nerds, people love to learn, nerd out on this shit. <laughs> That's who that is for. <laughs> great, great. Awesome. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes so it's easy for everyone to find. I feel like we just scratched the surface today. Oh my gosh, we'll probably have to have you back on later this year. But before we let you run for the day, if we can ask for one final piece of advice, if you both want to share something, and it doesn't have to be in the psychedelic space, it can be anything in health and wellness or life overall. Go ahead, you're on a roll. <laughs> I'm butter. Smooth butter. <laughs> For me, the one piece of advice is whatever work you're drawn to to deepen your trust of yourself is the most important work to do, whether you're going into psychedelics or not. Uh, people come into psychedelics looking, they're they're seeing the research and they're coming in looking for a magic pill, and it's not here either. I have certainly seen miracles, but in my 15 years of doing this work personally, I would say I had three miracles and lots of micro miracles that took years to unfold. So my one piece of advice would be whatever you have to do to deepen your relationship with yourself, whatever you're drawn to right now is the preparation for deepening the relationship with these master teacher plants and fungi. Um, and it, it'll that's the foundational relationship you build everything else on. So whatever you're drawn to there first. I love you so much. So <laughs> awesome. Oh. So Amazing. my, my, my share is around trust as well. And just the exploration that no matter what you believe in, whether you're in a belief structure around religion around oh, a one God type of situation, 
um, if you believe in the universe, if you believe in a source, everything comes from something. We all come from something. And so since we come from something, we are part of that something. And since we are part of that something, we are actually that something. And the idea that we are not that something is an idea. And every human being was born knowing exactly what they need to know. And they've been taught meticulously how to talk themselves out of the things that are foundational for them. And so I'm inviting you to unlearn what you have learned in your life and learn something new for yourself. You have been trained and meticulously taught how to talk yourself out of something. And I'm inviting you to question everything. That's my, that's my invitation. My advice is to question everything, even what I'm saying right now. And when you believe something, there's a doubt there because you can't, you can't uh, know something that you doubt, that you believe in. Okay. When I say I believe in something, there's not a knowing, there's a belief, there's a possibility that it's not true. And so when you remove the idea that you don't know anything, you know everything, you've been talked out of it. If I pick a child up and I say, uh, here, go to your uncle and kiss your uncle, and the kid is screaming and kicking, and the kid knows that that's not where they belong, and you force them into that space, they've been taught not to trust themselves. And we've been taught not to trust ourselves in so many ways. So I'm inviting you to trust yourself and question everything. That's my advice. That's my invitation when it comes to psychedelics, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to biohacking, when it comes to being in relationships. Trust yourself and ask yourself questions over and over again. I love you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I love you both so much. So amazing. Thank you for having us, y'all. Thank you for everything that you've done to create the things that you've created to have this podcast and all the people that you serve. Thank you for everything that you've endured in your lives to get you where you are, to, to bring us on here, to share this with these amazing people that are listening. And thank you to the people who are listening and everything that, that uh, has transpired in your lives. I appreciate you. Each human being in the past 400 years has had 4,000 ancestors for each person to create them. That's a tremendous situation. So, I love you. Incredible. You make me cry over here. <laughs> Same. And likewise, thank you. Yeah, thank you. To both of you for living and breathing and, and being and allowing and sharing. Yeah, so powerful. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> All right. Well, that is a wrap, everyone. <laughs> Ah, just the beginning, but the wrap for today. <laughs> totally. So thank you so much to both of you. And thank you to everyone that tuned in today. We will see you next week. Peace, y'all. Hey, biohackers. Thank you so much for staying until the end. And because you did, we have a very exciting announcement. For the next 90 days, we are giving free access to our seven-day Biohacker Babes Challenge. Each day includes a quick nutrition video, workout of the day, and actionables to keep you on track as we move further away from the new year. This is a great time to reinvest in your resolutions and bring a friend along for the ride. The offer will only be available for these 90 days or until the end of April. To access this challenge for free and to invite a friend, scroll down to the show notes and click the link. We will make sure you can't miss it. Happy biohacking. 
love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with your physician or health care professional.